Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of Motor Up Sports. Tonight, we're going to be focusing on three topics. Might get in the four if there's time. So the topics today are Javier Baez is a more arrogant and selfish player than a trash baseball player. Segment two is about the Lions preseason game. I want to just recap it, put a few of my takes down, go through some highlights of it that stood out to me. And segment three is ranking the top NBA young cores. And I think that's very important right now, considering that the Pistons are a top 10 young core. And I want people to know where I think they stand in comparison to the rest of the league. So without further ado, I want to go into Javier Baez. So you guys know how I said that I think Javi is too good for the team last episode. And I think he just thinks he's better than everybody else. Well, he showed that again yesterday. Dude, why are you doing that? Your third game is below 500 and you suck. You're probably the worst signing, positional signing of the offseason. Stop the fucking gimmicks, dude. What are we doing? You finally get your first career hit, it feels like. And you, you act like you just had a double with the game on the line in the playoffs. You look like a total jackass out there. You look like a total jackass. I bet everybody in that dugout thinks that. Look, if we're 30 games above 500, you're batting 275. You have 25 home runs right now. I have no issue with you doing it. I think baseball needs more of those players. But you're playing on the worst team in baseball. You're one of the worst players in baseball right now. Stop the gimmicks. Everybody's laughing at you. Everybody thinks you're a jackass. You scammed Detroit of all their money. And now you, you it, it's seriously like the equivalent of that. I'm playing pickup basketball and I'm down six to zero. And I'm about to get skunked. And I've been talking shit all game. And I'm 0 for 7. And my team finally scores a bucket. And I start celebrating and showing off. And I'm talking shit to everybody, thinking I'm like the best team in the world because I just avoided getting skunked. That's basically what just happened. He just avoided getting skunked because he had a hit. And he wants to do this. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me how every single day this guy gets worse and worse. And yeah, I mean, he's getting a little better right now. He's hitting the ball a little better. Gimmicks, come on, dude. We suck. There's nothing to celebrate right now. If anything, you should be sitting there pissed off with your hands over your fucking head in the dugout, crying your balls out because you suck and the team sucks. It's it's bad. It's really bad. I honestly at the point where it's like Avi just needs to get cut because I just think he thinks he's better than everybody. He really thinks he's better than everybody. Because if he didn't think it was better than everybody, he would just clap like everybody else and still on second. And like that's like Javi's game. That's what he does. He feeds off the crowd. But your own fans hate you. And every other fan the whole, in the whole country and the world hates you. So nobody likes you. You're not winning any brownie points doing that right now. I think baseball does need more players like that, but. When your team's 30 games below 500 and you're having by far the worst season of your career, you're barely batting 225 and you lead the league in errors. Don't, don't do that. That angers me. That makes me very upset. That's kind of like an insult to a fan base too. Like, 
Everybody's just laughing at you because you're a dick. But, I mean, there's not much else to talk about from there. He, he had another error today because that's what Javi's been doing best this year is coughing up ground balls in the field. Um, I mean, they lost 4-1 because Drew Hodgins actually looked like a major league pitcher for once today. Borderline MLB pitcher. But he looked serviceable. He gave him – let up one. There's not much else you can ask for from Drew Hutchinson. I mean, the offense is going to continue to put up one run a night because that's just what they do best. doesn't matter who's pitching. I can get thrown out there right now. I can lob balls over the plate, and they're still not going to hit them. So it doesn't really matter who's pitching. They're going to lose game two tonight because they suck. I mean, they're, they're hopeless. This guy pitching in double A this year they're facing off against tonight, and they'll still find a way to lose like 7-0 to zero because – they're just hopeless. Um, moving into segment two, I want to talk preseason Lions, short one. It's a preseason game. Not a whole lot to really talk about other than the first team and a few other things. But I want to throw out there, the first team O-line is better than I thought it was. That's something I think that everyone should be pretty excited about. Um, between Ragnow, Decker, and Sewell, you're looking at probably the best line in the NFL this year. And I like I get it. Like nobody else from Detroit's gonna say that. Like there are some good lines. But if Goff can just look like a serviceable NFL quarterback this year, which the all line should make him look like that. Swift will be a top 10 running back in the league this year just because he has a line. I don't even think Swift's as amazing of a running back as I think he, as people think he is but the line is going to make him even better. I think another thing that stood out to me, and I'll just throw a player of the week on the line right now too instead of doing it as my last segment, because honestly it's pointless because there's nobody that even deserves it this week. But I'll give it to Ian Hutchinson. He deserves it. I mean, it was a preseason game. That's why I'm saying like none of these Lions players deserve it. None of the Tigers players deserve it. They all suck. The only guy I can even give an honorable mention to is Tyler Alexander. Um, but – Aiden Hodgson makes me excited. He plays with a lot of fire. He looks coachable. He looks like an NFL-ready player that's going to come in and be a day-one star. And I I kind of think mis-evaluated him, and I'll own up to it right now. I think he'll be good. I think he'll be very good. I, I think he might end up being an elite player after that preseason game. But watch, you know, you heard, you've heard my takes about him. I, I would have preferred Tibbet over him, and I still would have. I, I'll stand by that take, and I'll stand on that until I'm proven wrong. I still think Tibbet should have been drafted over him. But doesn't take away from him being an absolute stud on the field. He might end up just being the second best player in this draft, and Tibbet will end up being the best, for all we know. But he, he will end up being a top five player out of this draft. Like, I honestly think that he's going to be a star. Um, he's Also, another reason why I gave him that great – gave him player of the week, he was the highest-graded rookie defender and an 88 PFF grade. That's pretty damn good, man. First game, you ball out like that and get an 88 grade. You got to play a good game. And he did. One thing that's standing out – to me, that's bad, and it could get very bad, is the linebackers. I mean, the linebackers are awful. Outside of Malcolm Rodriguez, who I think is going to be very good, and I think he's a locker room guy. We saw that with, with hard knocks. Like a lot of the guys in the locker room started buying into this kid because sixth-round pick, 
and you go up there and you have a show and you have everybody laughing, having fun, everybody's on their feet, everybody's loving you in training camp. That's somebody that's a locker room guy who looks like a pretty damn good NFL player, rookie NFL player, and most six-round picks. Like, you look at and you're like, he's not going to pan out. He's just that. He's like your 50th out of your 52nd man on your roster. You know, you're hopefully you'll never play your six-round pick. But honestly, I was happy to see him ball out like that. And I was happy to see him actually get the start over Anzalone. And this shows more than just, we got to steal in the draft. This shows that Brad Holmes knows how to draft, unlike Mayhew, unlike Bob Quinn, unlike Millen, unlike the guy before him and him and him, and you just go down the list. He got, he got St. Brown last year in the later rounds. Now you possibly got Malcolm Rodriguez in the sixth round, looks like an NFL player. That's something like you have to look at as a Detroit fan and say, oh, maybe Holmes has a vision. Maybe Holmes knows what he's doing because he's hitting on these picks. And he hit huge on Sewell last year, which fell in his lap. He's going to hit again this year on Hutchinson. He's going to hit again, I think, on Rodriguez. He's definitely going to hit on Jamison Williams if he's healthy. That's the one pick that I think could end up being the one pick that people look at and it's like, that's a horrible pick just because of his injury issues. But if he's healthy, I mean, that pick looks like a genius pick. So I was very happy to watch Malcolm Rodriguez. The rest of the linebackers are awful. The defense is thin as ice, depth-wise. Like, one guy goes down, it's the defense. You got to hope that they stay relatively healthy all year, healthy enough where they're just winning games against teams as bad as them, because they will. The one thing that stood out to me, and I'm glad I saw a tweet about today, that they're looking at Mason Rudolph. They need to find a real backup QB. I think A.J. McCarron is another guy who's free agent right now. He would be perfect. I don't want anything to do with Cam Newton. I think he's a horrible locker room guy, so just keep him as far away from this organization as possible. But you need a serviceable backup. Another year, Boyle or Blau replacing Stafford or Goff. Remember, the injury of Stafford is last year. You have to find somebody because they're not your guys. Goff can't get hurt with this right now because they're going to come in there and honestly I thought they looked worse than they did last year and the year before that so that says a lot I do not want to see them play another snap as the Detroit Lion bring in a guy who even if golf is struggling really bad there's a guy behind you can just put in you feel comfortable like okay he's good enough that he might play better Mason Rudolph is probably a guy like that I'm granted, like, Mason Rudolph's a shit quarterback. But I wouldn't mind him coming into a game if Goff's thrown three interceptions and you need somebody to come in. I do mind putting Boyle, Boyle or Blau in if Goff is struggling. So I'm happy to see that. Hopefully, you know, the Lions can take Mason Rudolph, find a real serviceable backup for, for just the year, and then make Goff your backup next year with whatever you do at quarterback. The last takeaway I had was I like Devin Funches a lot, and I really hope there's a roster spot for him. I think that he showed up better than I ever thought he would. I hope he plays more of a receiver role than playing more tight end because he looks like a better receiver. I, I know he played both at Michigan years back, so he could play both. But if there's a roster spot for him, I, I'm rooting for him to get it. I hope there is. He's good depth. 
I wouldn't mind playing him either. If somebody gets hurt, if you're down your fourth, fifth guy, I wouldn't mind putting him on the field over Khalif Raymond. I wouldn't mind putting him in a, over the, on the field over Reynolds. I think he's just as good as both of them. I think that the one thing that scares me, though, is this team kind of has losing at the last minute down to a science, even if it's a preseason game. I hope that's just because you're throwing your third string guys and your second string guys and not because it's just the team's identity and they're still cursed. That that's the one takeaway that scares me from this entire game. But overall, I I'm really impressed with a lot of things that I saw. The defense is scary bad. Where I think that you have to take a look at the linebacker position at Rokon Smith. You don't necessarily have to pull the trigger on him. You just have to inquire about him. If they're asking for you know number ones across the board for him, don't even bother. Just hang up the phone. But Let's say they're hypothetically looking at a third, a fifth, and like a future third or something. I'm all for it. If that's the first guy you pay on defense, pay him. I don't have an issue with it. Because you got your guy in Hutch on your D-line, you have him. Next year, you could sign a corner. You could sign Your safeties are fine. You could sign a corner. Your linebackers, you can upgrade in the draft next year, depending on what you do with your picks. So overall... Rokon Smith would make this team light years better on defense. You have to take a look at Rokon Smith. You have to. It's the only way your defense is going to get better. But I want to move on to segment three here, which is ranking the top NBA young cores. It's very important to me to see where the Pistons line up against everybody else. I'm going to consider Boston a young core because everybody I'm considering are under the age of 25. So I'll start with number 10 is Toronto. Without Scotty Barnes, there's no young core there. You got probably like the worst young core in the league. If, without. And as much as Scotty Barnes didn't deserve rookie of the year and should have been runner up. I mean, he's a scary dude. His bounce, his defense, he looks like a real, looks like the real deal. I mean, he looks like a superstar. And he's gonna own he's gonna own the Eastern Conference as one of the top five players in the, in the East. I think in a few years, I don't think that's too hot to really take. They have OG and Obi. When he's healthy, he's a very good player. I have nothing wrong with him. I think he's a solid starter or six man on a winning team. And then Gary Trent Jr., who if he leaves that young court, you know, completely gets slashed in half. But he's a free agent this offseason. You need to resign him to keep that young core elite. Though the problem with the Raptors is they need a real free agent or they're stuck in purgatory for a long time. Because, I mean, there's really no title I can see them winning in sight with what they have. Like you, you need to go out there and you need to get the top free agent next year. You need to get the top player on the market if you're Toronto. Like Donovan Mitchell would be perfect for that. And if you were to put Sky and Donovan Mitchell together, Toronto could be real dangerous if they add a star. But young core-wise, you have to put them at 10. Number nine is a team that's deep in a rebuild. And they probably have two more years of it, and that's Orlando. They'll probably end up having the number one young core when it's all done. And they, they might honestly end up being the best out of all these teams I'm going to list off. I wouldn't be shocked if they land when they on this draft. They're really building the right way. Um. They got Paolo, who I thought was the smarter pick over Jabari. I was never a Jabari guy. 
thought that they were smart. They should they should have got Chet, but I mean Paul's fine. We know what Paul's gonna be. Cole Anthony's a solid point guard. Franz Wagner had an impressive rookie year, much better than I ever thought he would be as a rookie. Fultz is a bust. Hopefully at one point he comes along. And but I don't think that's ever coming. You, you got to put him in that young core because he still gets minutes on that team, even though he's not a long-term piece. And then they, they brought back Mo Bamba this offseason. So they're probably the number nine young core right now for what they have. It could very well end up being number one. But number eight's a team that's, I think, close to the – I think they're not even really rebuilding much anymore. I think they're done with it. But I have to put them at eight because most of their roster is under 25, and that's Cleveland. Do I think Cleveland will ever win a title with what they have right now? Absolutely not. Do I think they'll ever get out of the Eastern Conference with what they have right now? Absolutely not. But that core looks good. And they're not on contender-esque core this year or probably next year. But if you can somehow come in some free agents signing Cleveland, go for it. Spend all your money next offseason. You, you locked up Garland already. I think they got the steal of the draft who – when the Pistons announced they were going to trade up with the Knicks, I honestly, I have no problem with Durant. I think Durant's going to be better. But I was like, maybe they should get a Baji. Because it'll be a Baji. Honestly, watching him at Kansas, the way – this is just his play style. This is not what he's going to be. That looks like Clay Thompson, but more fluid. And he looks like a quiet like defender. Like – He's, he's going to be one of the best 3 and D players in the league. And Cleveland is so lucky he fell in their lap. Because I'm in love with this game. I think everybody's going to see that. And you're going to look back. I think people are going to look back at this episode and be like, yeah, Oki Abaji, this kid right about him. I, I know a stud when I see one in college. And I typically, you'll see, I'm pretty damn good at evaluating draft talent. He's the steal of the draft. There's two other steals I'm going to get to on young cores later in this episode though. But Abaji's definitely like the one that nobody's talking about as a steal. They have Jared Allen, who with, when he played with Mobley, the two of them together looked like a really good front court. Isaac Okoru and then Sexton's still there, but he's not going to be there much longer because they're shopping him. Um, at number seven, OKC. They're far off. They're as far off as all these teams. But they have my favorite player in this draft, which is Chet Holmgren. Chet will be the best player in the draft if they make him a three or a four. He's an absolute bust if he's a five. He's not going to be able to guard. He's not going to be remotely close to be able to, to guarding and be Cat, Gobert. You name the center, he can't guard a Jokic. He's not going to do it. You have to make him a four. You can even put him as a three, and I think he's going to be a very good three. You have to play to his strengths. He is weak, and he's he loves to just – I think he's a great shooter. I think he's a great scorer in the paint. He's a three-level scorer. So you have to look at him make him a four. I love Gilgis Alexander. I just don't know if he's really a long-term piece with OKC – Considering that, it just seems like they always are trying to trade him. And then you have Josh Giddy, who was a very impressive rookie. Who, when they drafted him, I was like, what are they doing? This guy's going to be nothing. It's just another white boy from New Zealand who's not going to do anything. But 
I think he's been very good. And I think he's a guy that OKC has to be excited about. And then Lou Dort, I mean, we saw what he did in that postseason, in that game seven that they lost, where he just lit it up, most random 30 ball I've ever seen in my life. But Lou Dort is solid. I think he's a good role player when they're winning. I think the sixth best young core is Houston. I think this is interchangeable with the number five to go either way. Jalen Green, at the end of the, his rookie season, looked like the second best player in that draft at that. He looked almost as good as Cade. And had Jalen Green played like that all year, I think he wins rookie of the year. And it's not even close. Like he unanimously wins that. His pure scoring ability is dangerous. Pair that with Jabari Smith, Kevin Porter Jr., Easton, and Ty Ty Washington. They won, them and the Pistons won the draft. I mean, it's not even close. Ty Ty is a stud. I don't know what happened, why he slipped as far as he did. Same with Easton, but overall, if you're a Rockets fan, that's you. I think you have to be more excited right now than you were when Harden was there. That's how good I think Houston could be. Houston might be the team that just runs the West. If they can land another high draft pick this year, which honestly, I don't know if they will. They might be in the same place as the Pistons, um, who they'll play for a play in. They'll probably get close and not get it. And they'll end up with a top six pick in a strong draft again. And they're going to be exciting. Jabari's a good player. I'm not a huge Jabari guy. I never really was. But, I mean, he's really good number two for Jalen Green. Kevin Porter Jr., that guy stays out of trouble. He's going to be dangerous. Like, really, really dangerously good. But he needs to cut all the shit in the locker room. He has to cut all the off-the-court garbage with the law and everything. But, overall, Ty Ty Washington's steal is a very good backup. You can very well be a starting point guard at some point in his career, too. I like Easton's motor, but he's a question mark. And I, I see why he might have slipped that far. But overall, I mean, Houston's young core is, is good. Like, very good. And I'm going to interchange them with the Pistons at number five. I couldn't choose who had the better young core. But Kate Ivy, Dern, Sadiq Stu, Bagley, Killian. I mean, we've gone through this before. We know Kate's that guy. We knew he was that guy from day one. Ivy's like John Morant. But taller. I think Duran looks like a young Dwight Howard. And I said that before. Seeks so a stud sharpshooter, three and D guy. Bagley has a chance now to revitalize his entire career. He's trying to work on that this past season in the second half. We'll see what happens there. And then Stu and Kill are probably not going to be long-term pieces on this team, I wouldn't think. But the reason why I put the Pistons at five, I'll revisit the Pistons at the end on why I put them there. But the next five, next four teams are teams that are light years ahead of the Pistons and are actually proven teams, which is why number four is Atlanta. Uh, DeJounte Murray, Trey Young, another guy who thinks a steal out of A.J. Griffin. Uh, John Collins and Onyeke Okongwu. Like, my guy, you got DeJounte Murray. Like, you honestly got 10 times better this offseason if you're Atlanta. And I don't think they'll get out of the East. Because defensively, they're as big of a joke as it can ever become. Getting rid of DeAndre Hunter, I think, was just 
a bonehead move because he was your only guy who can actually play defense on the perimeter. But DeJounte Murray, he's an upgrade defense over Horner. But I don't know how you can be comfortable with that defense when you have Trey Young back there. And I don't think John Collins is that great of a defender either. So the defense is very questionable, in my opinion. A.J. Griffin slipped in, fell in their laps. Like, there were people talking about how he could have gone to the Pistons at five. I think Atlanta was probably celebrating when he and ran straight to the podium and drafted him. He's a good fit there. I think he fits DeAndre Hunter's role fine. But I think this year, defensively, they're, they're kind of a joke because A.J. Griffin won't be clamped day one in the NBA. And I don't know if he'll even start. I think they'll probably end up starting Bogdanovich. Um, but getting DeJounte Murray boosts them to a top four team in the East this year. You can at least play for the Eastern Conference. Do I think they get get out of it? No, but do I think they have a good enough chance? Yeah, I mean, the offense they have there is scary. You have five guys that are good scorers on the floor at all times. Shooters, DeJounte Murray's one of the best, I think one of the better defensive point guards in the league, but they're so small in the perimeter. And I think that guarding a two position is going to be really difficult. And that's why I don't think John T. Murray's a bad defender. I think he's a great defender. But I think losing DeAndre Hunter really hurts guarding the wings. Because DeJounte Murray's going to, going to have to clamp up one of the best players on the floor. Or he's going to have to clamp up a point guard. And you have Trey on clamping up a two. It's not, it's not going to work out as great as I think that the Atlanta fans think it's going to work out. But the young core that they have with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young could be very good if they can add a real defender in there. Number three is Memphis. Ja, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Jaron Jackson. They were the two seed in the West last year. I mean, when a team takes that big of a jump in one year, you kind of have to look at it and be like, this team might be a real deal team. It could become a dynasty. And Memphis really has a chance of becoming that. Nobody's talking about them as a, a contender to win it all. And I get that. Like, the Clippers are back. The Warriors are back. The Bucs will be the Bucs. Philly's exciting. Boston's as exciting as it could be. Atlanta's exciting. Denver's healthy. Like, and I get it. Like, nobody's talking about Memphis because they're not as exciting right now outside of John. But when you're a two C in the West and you were just, you just drafted a number two two years ago and take that big of a leap, you have to look at Memphis and be like, wow, this team might actually get out of the West this year. I don't think they will. But the young court they have between John Dez, X, and Jaron Jackson, it's unbelievable and could be very exciting. At number two, I think it's New Orleans. Zion, B.I., Dyson Daniels, who's the question mark of the draft, Herb Jones, and Jackson Hayes. I was very, I was really questioning the New Orleans rebuild for a while. But yeah, they're building something really nice there. Like, that C.J. McCollum trade should put them in contention in the West if Zion's healthy. That's all you need. If Zion's healthy, I, and I'm going to continue to stick with my take with him. If he can go a full 82-game season, at any point in his career, he will win an MVP at some point. I thought coming in, he was going to be up there with like LeBron, with Kobe, with all those guys, but the injuries have obviously derailed that. But when he's healthy, he's by far the best player on the floor. And I know people are really forgetting 
everyone forgot about before the bubble that season. I don't think people remember. It was like three or four days before the season shut down. It was the Lakers game. That was the year, obviously, the Lakers won it all. So the one year that LeBron, AD, and everybody was just dominating. I don't know if people, if you remember that game, that Zion was going neck to neck with LeBron. And that was like a game where LeBron had to really take over then, which he did. Because anytime LeBron's legacy is on the line, he covers his ass. And he did that. Because it looked like at that time, Zion was coming for LeBron's throw at some point in the last the next four or five years. If he's healthy, if he loses the weight, if he shows he's serious about winning, I think the sky's the limit for him. He could go down as a great. And I hope he stays healthy. I never wish an injury upon anybody. I really I have a lot of hope in Zion. Um, B.I. is the perfect option. 1B for that team. We'll see what, we'll see what Dyson Daniels is. Overall, they've built that team up completely. And I'm, you have to give a round of applause to David Griffin for that. And number one is Boston. You know, it's common sense. Jalen Brown, Jason Taylor are under 25, so they still qualify. I don't know if you can build a better young core than that. You know, they get to the finals. They'd be idiots to try to get KD. But I want to move right back to my point of the Pistons young core and how I think they rank below and above some of those teams. Houston's very interchangeable because I think we're both in the same place where we'll probably match up in the finals at some point down the road. It'll happen. Both of us are building great organizations. Um, OKC, Orlando, and Cleveland. I think this right now, what OKC and Orlando have, you can't put them above the Pistons. Do I think they have a chance to be a better team in the future than the Pistons? Absolutely. Cleveland, I mean, their young core is good, but they have nothing else to show for it in the market they play, and they're never going to sign anybody. Toronto's whatever. We know what Toronto is just Scotty, Gary, and OG. The teams above us are teams that are much closer to winning than we are, but doesn't mean that we're going to be better than them down the road at some point because we still have another draft to go through. We have some free agency. But where everything stands right now, I think the Pistons have the fifth best young core in the league, tied fifth with Houston in the league. And I think that's something that I'll revisit throughout the season, this ranking. I think it's important to revisit my takes from earlier in the season, whether they were right or wrong. So with that, I'm going to conclude the episode on Wednesday. I have somebody coming on to talk Michigan football. I've been slacking off in that department lately, and I want to be fair to all the teams. So a lot of Michigan football talk on Wednesday and Friday. I'm going to lead off with some hard knocks talk, and then we'll see what else happens between today and Wednesday for next episode. Thanks again, guys, for listening. 